0: debtors in Luke's Gospel chapter 7. Debt, we know, do we not, dear friends, is a very, very serious thing. And I speak from experience that uh, there was a period in my life where debt really started to spiral out of control. And, And debt can really be ruinous to our lives, the when debt starts to spiral out of control, it can lead to sleepless nights. It can lead to a loss of health. It can, of course, cause stress and anxiety. And that can, of course, affect not only us, but others as well. And so it's, debt is a, it's a serious thing. Although our culture, of course, in our culture, it's often, we don't
1: seem to treat it that way. Because, of course, we live far
0: beyond our means in the West. And many nations uh, are greatly in debt. Because we live in this kind of credit card culture where we, we don't really treat debt seriously. But, of course, it gets to the
2: point where if it starts to spiral out of control, it can be ruinous to our lives. When the the, the bankruptcy letter comes,
0: or when the bailiffs come, it can start to be ruinous. But debt, dear friends, in God's eyes, is not just about how much money or how much goods we owe to our fellow fellow man or, or company. Debt, more importantly, in God's eyes and through Holy Scripture, refers to what we owe our Maker, You see, he is the one that has given us everything that we have in life. We owe him everything. He is the great benefactor behind all that we have. He is our maker. And we are uh, his creature. we'll speak more about that a bit later. And hence, really, the Lord's prayer. And forgive us our debts. Now, friends, our powerful begins today in verse 41, where the Lord Jesus speaks these words. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, which in those days was a great, a great amount, and the other 50. And so the creditor here, well, a creditor really is, is a person who owes uh, who sorry to whom a sum of money is due, or, or goods are due, or something is due to that person. And so if we're in credit, we're in the green, aren't we? Uh, we're not in debt. If we're in debt, we really are in the red. We owe something to the creditor. And it is abundantly clear from this parable. As with other parables the Lord Jesus spoke of, that the certain creditor here is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord God himself. A certain creditor, a certain man, in the parables a certain farmer, it is the Lord God himself. It is also clear that the two debtors described in today's parable refers to the varying degrees of sinners that we see in the world. The sinner that I am. The sinner that you are. There's varying degrees of sinners. There are
1: notorious sinners. Which we see
0: very clearly in today's parable. This woman. This woman who was known by Simon's words throughout the city. She was a notorious sinner. Um, Some say it was Mary Magdalene. We cannot be sure of that. But um, it may very well have been. But if we look at John's Gospel... But this woman was renowned throughout that city for being a notorious sinner. She was irreligious. She was more than likely a harlot, and so she used what God had given her, and she hired and prostituted herself, and not only defiled herself, but she made other people to defile themselves, and so she was notorious. Throughout that city, for being this notorious sinner, this one who was renowned outwardly to break God's holy commandments, to ignore God, to live in sin. And of course, we also have the other debtor here, the one who was not so notorious. And that, of course, was Simon the Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee was one, of course, who was very deeply religious. He would have had a strict observance to the ceremonial rites, to the tradition of the elders. He would have been seen as an outstanding citizen of society. He would have had a strict observance upon uh, the commandments, observing the commandments. And so it's fair to say that Simon the Pharisee would have been seen as an outstanding citizen in that society then. A standing citizen and, uh, and thought himself to be worthy. Now friends, before we take a closer look at these two debtors and really what they represent, let us firstly consider the certain creditor. After all, the parable really begins with the certain creditor. This certain creditor, like I said, represents the Lord God. We are the work of His hands. It is not us that have made ourselves. It is Him that has made us. And this means that we belong to God. We do not belong to ourselves. He has made us. He is the potter. And we, of course, are the pots. He owns us. And we are loaned to Him, our bodies and our souls, they don't belong to us, they belong to God. He has given them to us, and He has given us terms to which we are to abide by, and so He is the creditor. We are using what God has credited us with. Our health, our energy, our time, our souls, our bodies, our life, are His. And this really flies in the face of what our culture teaches us. Well, you're, you're, the, you're, own, you're, you're the own person. You have no accountability. Live for yourself. Live for number one. Do what you want in life. You're not accountable, neither to God nor your fellow human. You're just an animal. Do what you want in life. If that means stepping over your fellow man, if that means defiling your fellow man, well, do it. If it feels good, do it. And the of course, this is the opposite. To what God's word teaches. That it is God that owns us. That we are accountable to our maker. That he is the certain creditor. And one day we will all stand before God. And have to give an account. To the lives and the souls. More importantly. The everlasting souls. That he has given us. How we've used. What God has given us. Whether we've abused. What God has given us. And so friends. We are on loan. Our souls and our, more, our bodies, and more importantly, our souls—that which is precious, that's which your body encases—they they are on rent; they're on lease to us.
1: And one day it will be required of
0: us how we've used what God has given us. If we've truly been good stewards of what good of what God has given, we owe God everything. Like I said, He is the great benefactor behind all that we have, my life, my time, my energy, my money, everything that I have, my wife, my children, everything, it belongs to God. He is the giver. He provides the sunshine and the rain. He provides me with food. He sustains my every breath. It is Him. In Him, I, I live and I breathe. And without Him, I will perish. Do I acknowledge God in this respect? Do I praise God? in this respect? Do I seek His his face and His blessing in this respect? What we see here from the first debtor described in today's parable. This poor woman, this renowned woman throughout the city of a a great debt that she was in, 500 pence, she was in a great debt. And we see what this represents. And of course, this represents the first debtor, like this woman, all notorious sinners, like this woman, who, like I said, was known throughout the city to be a great sinner, a harlot, one that enticed men, one that trampled all over God's laws, that abused what God had given her for many, many years. But you see, we see something amazing happening In today's account, something happened to this woman's heart and to this woman's soul. Her eyes, which she often would have used to draw men's attention, those eyes we see, don't we, that would have been painted and makeup to put in, to highlight, to capture men with their eyes will, we see here in today's parable, they were full of tears. They were full of brokenness, as it were. Full of tears, which she watered, as it were, and washed the feet of the Saviour Christ. Something was happening to this notorious sinner. Her hair, which she would have normally beautified, as it were, and adorned and beautified to draw men's hearts to her features and to her body, as it were. Well, now she's using that hair, that beautiful uh, hair she adorned, well, now she's using that to scrub the Saviour's dirty feet in that dusty land. She's pouring her heart out before the Lord, uh, completely broken, p- completely destitute, crying over her sin, her death, watering the feet of the Saviour. And with her hair, which she would normally have used to entice men's hearts, she's scrubbing the feet, as it were, of the Saviour, getting the dirt off the feet and and with the tears wiping it, as it were. Something's happening to the heart of this notorious sinner. And her body, which in no no doubt in days past, was as, as the attire of a harlot. She would have been standing on the street corner, as it were. She would have used what God has given to uh, make other people sin, entice other men, to said, draw other people to rebel, and sin, defile men.
1: And she would have used it
0: to trample over God's holy laws, to abuse what God has given, and to defile others as well. But all of a sudden, She is standing behind, notice that in our text, behind Christ. As to say, she's in shame now. She's deeply ashamed. She's no longer standing in front, enticing. She's behind the Lord, weeping, scrubbing the Savior's feet, as it were, behind the Lord, a true penitent, as it were. Something's happened. Something's happened to this notorious sinner, This woman of the city and those lips which she would have defiled many a man with, which she would have uh, used to defile many man with, they are now being used to kiss the Saviour's feet now and to show love and affection. And it would seem that everything that she normally gave her heart to has completely changed. Completely, something's happening to the heart and the soul of this dear woman. That expensive ointment, which perhaps in times gone past in the alabaster box, to the oil, as it were, the sweet aroma of that ointment, which no doubt she may have used in time gone past to preserve her skin, her beauty in that hot land, and to For flattery purposes, for vanity purposes, and also perhaps to let off that sweet aroma, as it were, or that same ointment is now being used to anoint the Saviour's feet. And she did so because she believed that the the Saviour indeed, that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, that he had come specifically to die on the cruel cross of Calvary. For her sins, she believed that, and there's no doubt to me that she had been under the influence of the Lord Jesus' preaching, or had heard indeed of the Lord's acts of mercy. It was so different to the Pharisees, who preached a works-based salvation. But when she heard of God's forgiveness and free mercy and free grace to sinners. That if they truly trusted in the Saviour, well then they can know of his free grace, his free righteousness, or something amazing happened in this woman's heart. She came, even to a Pharisee's house, even someone who would normally boot her out. Well she came, didn't she? And completely changed before him. Pouring out her heart, scrubbing
2: his dirty feet,
0: Uh, Wiping with her tears. Not wanting to be seen in the Saviour. Behind him, as it were, in shame. A true penitent we see here. And you see, friend, she believed that Jesus Christ was indeed the only begotten Son of God. Full of grace and truth. She believed that he was not just a prophet. held the office of a prophet. That he was a great man. spoke on behalf of God. But she believed that he was indeed the only begotten son of God, that he was straight from God, that he was co-equal with God, and that Christ, Jesus Christ, was able to forgive her all of her sins, a life of defilement, a life of getting it wrong. And she believed in it. And no doubt she heard of the Lord's love and free mercy to sinners. She had spent a lifetime prostituting herself from God. Dear friends, and defiling others. Her, her debt, you see, friends, was a great debt. It was far beyond what she could ever pay. She was morally bankrupt, as it were. She could never pay that great debt. Those many days, and weeks, and months, and years of defiling herself, of her body, of others, as it were. She was in great debt as it were, great bankruptcy, moral bankruptcy, and there's no way she could, she could ever pay for her sin. But what about you and I? What about us here today? There's, no matter how far, dear friends, we'll stray from the good shepherd of our souls. doesn't matter how far our sin and how great that the die of our sin has soaken so in. This teaches us, really, that you're never too far To be truly converted. You're never too far away from God. And you may say. Well you don't understand preacher. The things that I've gone through in my life. You don't understand the sins that I'm into. You don't understand how bad my condition is. How bad my heart is. What I've given my heart to. What I think about sometimes. What I do sometimes. Maybe in secret, Maybe when people are not looking. The things that I've I've seen with my eyes. The pollution. The filth that I've given my heart to. It's not too bad.
2: It's never, it's never,
0: though though you may be a great sinner, Jesus Christ is a great savior. If you truly believe that he is indeed the son of the living God, dear friends, he is powerful enough to save you from every single sin. And so you see, friends, this first debtor, this renowned woman of the city, though her sins were many, dear friends, And though she loved much, she loved the creature more than the creator and spent many a year doing so, well this woman believed in Jesus Christ by faith, and that he would die for every single one, all of her sins, and that she would be justified by faith alone in Christ. And here we see the true doctrine of justification by faith alone alone. She believed that Jesus Christ was God. You know, during the week we met a number of Jehovah's Witnesses and they do not believe that Jesus Christ was co-equal with God. That, that Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God and I had to challenge them. And I, and I say if you're not born again, and they said well I'm not born again, if you do, do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and co-equal with God, then you're still in your sins. You're not right with God. You can never justify yourself by your sin. You see, it must be Christ alone that justifies you. And we see this with this poor woman. She came into a house which would normally be cast out of. And by faith, she poured out her heart to the Saviour, forsaking her sin, forsaking a lifetime of rebelling from God. And truly and heartily, Believing that in Christ, the Son of God, that he, that all her sin would be justified, would be, would be cleansed with his precious blood. She knew that Christ was about to die for her sin. She knew that Christ, that Jesus Christ was going to the cross. She believed in it. And that he would soon die and be punished for every single sin that she had, she had ever committed. And that she was ever committing, and that she would in the future ever commit, Christ would have paid the full penalty. And that's why the Lord Jesus says, doesn't it? Your faith has saved you. You're, You're saved. And of course, from that moment onwards, she would have lived a life of obedience and trusted in the Lord. And that faith would have established the good works. So she here is justified. In Christ alone. And hence the words of the Saviour in verse 50. Thy faith have saved thee. Go in peace. And the second debtor, however, on the other hand, Simon the Pharisee, had no such assurance. Forgiveness was presented to him. Forgiveness and pardon was open to him. He was a nice man. He was allowed, he invited Christ into his house. Most people would have thought of him to be a very good person. Forgiveness was open to him. The Lord Lord invited him, as it were. But he had no such assurance that his sins were forgiven. Or that he had true peace with God. And why is this? Why, Why did not Simon have true assurance of his standing before Almighty God? Well, I believe there's two main reasons. Reason number one, he did not believe that Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God, and that Christ alone can save him from his sins. He did not truly love God with all of his heart and soul and strength. Though he called him Master, and though he invited Christ into his house, He could not even bring himself to acknowledge uh, the Lord Jesus, even as Christ's messenger, as the office of a prophet. He could not even come to acknowledge Christ as a prophet. Of course, he was more than a prophet. He was God, the Son of God, come to save sinners. And let us take note, dear friends, there are many who are Christians in name only because they have no true love and affection for for Christ from their heart. They, they have, they're, they're Christians in name only. They have no true love and affection for Christ and His words. For eternal, for the eternal salvation that He has wrought. Just think about that. This lady here, she knew what God had done in her life, that she was saved and converted for eternity. That every single sin that she's ever committed and ever will commit, the Lord Jesus has dealt with. Her soul is saved from eternity of power. If any man has ever experienced that new birth, it has life-changing impact. It completely changes someone's life. And I'm sad to say that in the Christianity much around us here in the UK and the West, we don't see that, do we? We don't see this radical change. This brokenness. This... If, if, if Christ has truly saved a sinner, the, the soul of a sinner, it changes someone um, like that person that lives for Christ, is dedicated to Christ, hangs on Christ's every word. Where you go, I'll go. What you do, I'll do. I love you more than anything. I'm willing to... To get my hands dirty for you. I'm willing to be belied and, and spoken about for you. No matter what it costs, this harlot who spent a life beautifying herself, adorning herself, now she's to the ground, getting filthy, in shame, because she trusts in the Saviour. Because Christ's salvation meant everything to her. That's so indifference, isn't it? to the worldly, nominal Christianity we see around us. The words of Matthew, Matthew 15, 8, really ring true of this. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They say I'm a
1: Christian. They say, Lord,
0: Lord, I've done all these things. I go to church. I'm I'm a good person. I don't swear. I do all these things. But really, they're, their, their, their Christianity is not a heartfelt one. Christ is not first in their hearts. They're justifying themselves on their church attendance by not swearing. I'm not. I am not. I used to do things, but I, I don't swear anymore. I didn't. But that's, but that's not the point. The point is, is Christ first? Do I love him more than anything? Like this woman, is my affection pouring out to him? He's saved my soul for eternity. That's what he's come to do. And that means everything. The, this world perish, my affections to this world. Christ, my Saviour. And I'm willing to I'm willing willing to, to get dirty now for the Lord and be despised and be brought to shame because of it. This is what we see, don't we? This is true Christianity. This is true believing. Friends, and on that day of judgment, on that day of judgment, friends, many professing Christians. Just think about that: the many people who thought that they will be secure on that day of judgment, they will say, "Lord, Lord, I went to the, I went to this church or that church. I didn't swear. I, I gave to charity. I was a nice person, honest." Of my glory. You never loved me. Truly, you gave yourself the glory. Your Christianity was more about you than it was about me. It wasn't more about being seen before men. It wasn't living every day wholeheartedly to me. You despised my words. You despised real Christians who obeyed my words. You looked down upon them like this woman. You despise those who were zealous and devout for the Lord. And that's a state, isn't it, of our Christianity. Truly, that is what our Christianity has become. The second reason why the second debtor signed had no assurance, and it was offered to him, that his heart his heart was not right with God. That he had no assurance that his heart was not right with God, or that he was saved. Is because he made light of his debt. He made light of it. He thought his debt was small. And in fact, he thought that he was in credit. Well, I'm such a good person. I'm such a good Christian. I'm such a, I'm such a good people. Th- people think so. People think I'm this wonderful person. Look, look what I know. Look at the, the things are, that I've done. He thought he was incredible. In fact, I'll invite Jesus to my house for him to tell me of what a great person I am. And yes, he... He may not have been a greatest sinner as this notorious woman had been who lived many years. He... Perhaps ten times more, you didn't commit as many sins as this woman. But you see, in God's eyes, he was still a great sinner. Because he robbed God. Robbed for, for, for God of his glory. He pretended. His pretended obedience. And law uh, keeping was like filthy rags in God's sight. And, and sad to say, that that's, is the summary of most professing Christians nowadays. I've done all these things. My outward Christianity. But what about your heart? What about your soul? You know, the amazing thing about, the amazing thing that God often does in His Word, to bring self-righteous and often deceived professing Christians, or even nominal Christians, to understand their, their, their true position Before God, their true standing before God is that he often contrasts them against those who truly love the Lord, who truly have an affection to the Lord. That's a truth of scripture, isn't it? That's why Christ says to the Simon Pharisee, Seest thou? Simon, seeest thou this woman? See, verse see Seeest thou this woman? Simon looks upon the woman. She's a son. But look, look at this woman. Look at her heart. Look at the, the, the heart of this woman.
2: She loves me.
0: She believes in me. I mean everything to her. And she is willing, as it were, to cast her life, her old life behind her, trust in me. Do you see this as this woman, Simon? And Simon the Pharisee did not see it, did he? And many people just don't see it. His religion was a cheap, comfortable, hypocritical, easy religion. So we see that all around us. Just a cheap one. I'll just cherry pick the bits of the Bible, which best suit my lifestyle. A cheap, comfortable, easy religion. Completely different from what the Bible teaches. Through much tribulation, we must enter into heaven. True zealous Christians who love the Lord, like this notorious woman, really are despised nowadays for taking Christ at his words. They are despised. This woman took Christ at his word to the to dot. And true Christians are, are despised as well. And we know that. We know that when, when we are called to go out on the highways, we are compelled to come in. And we meet many Christians. They say, What are you doing? What are you doing doing this? You shouldn't be doing this. Haven't you read the Word? Don't you care for God's Word? And it seems like this is, this is increasingly getting worse and worse. It's very telling, isn't it, friends? God did not come to save the righteous, He came to save sinners and to repentance. Friends, our debt of sin to God is far too great, far too great for us to pay for. God's justice is too strict to allow just even one sin to defile heaven, to darken the courts of heaven. It must be paid for. It must be doubtful else he is not a God of justice. God's justice has to be satisfied. And that was what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. He satisfied the divine justice of God upon sin. For all those who would treat their debt of sin seriously and come to Him like this woman has done, wholeheartedly with everything, forsaking that life like Rahab, the the harlot did as well, and truly trust the Lord. And then, and only then, when Christ is first in your life, the Lord, the Lord truly. I saved that person. Amen.